take your Bibles and turn to the last psalm that we have in this Psalter, in this book of Psalms, Psalm 150. Psalm 150, as this morning we talk about the all of worship. Last week we spoke a little bit about the heart of worship and especially the heart of coming together in a corporate context. I mean, I say again, there is something that is dynamic about the people of God coming together. There should be something energizing and exciting. There should be something that we can share together as we come in such a corporate context. Now, I said last week, it's one thing for us to have our individual moments of worship, and we should. It's one thing for us to read the scripture, for us to pray individually, even for us to sing individually. It's another thing when you can come together with brothers and sisters in Christ and you can experience this corporate moment of worship, the family coming together. Even this morning, even this morning, we have experienced those moments already. Psalm 150 talks about the all of worship, how we come bringing our all and recognizing him as the all in all of our lives. I want you to hear this psalm. I mean, it, it's a great psalm to be able to complete the ancient hymn book of Israel. I mean, it is placed here strategically. I don't think necessarily it was written for this final placement, but I think God in his own way placed it here to kind of end the book, to remind us of the all of worship and how we are to come before him. Listen, listen to what the psalmist says. It's a very simple, simple statement of faith, of worship. It is a simple invitation to come before God's presence. Listen to what he says. He says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with a lute and harp. Praise him with a timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You can hear in that psalmist's words this idea of bringing adoration and praise to God. This psalm begins with one word. That one word in Hebrew basically is the word hallelujah. Now, I know we translate it, praise the Lord, but it is just a simple statement, hallelujah. If you go back and you look in Psalm 146, Psalm 147, Psalm 148, Psalm 149, and here in Psalm 150, all of those psalms begin with that one word. They, they're kind of like a collection together, hallelujah. Have you ever said that before? Some of you are worried if you say it too loudly. So you know what? I'll ease your trepidation this morning. We'll all say it together, okay? I'll say it together so you don't look weird. You don't stick out any. You won't be charged with being a charismatic in any way, okay? Let's just all say it together. One, two, three. Hallelujah. See, it didn't hurt at all, did it? What does that word mean? Well, you see the translation, praise the Lord. Holly. That first part of that word simply means to praise worship. When you add this idea of hallelujah, Yah speaks to God, Yahweh God, the covenant God of Israel. If you were to break it down, that word hallelujah means praise the God, the covenant God that we serve. 
worship him. And in Psalms 146 through 150, when the psalmist comes, he expresses first his worship through that one word, hallelujah. And then I think he gives us how we go about our worship, the, the, how we center our worship. He gives us the all of worship. Notice in verse 1, after just saying hallelujah to God, shouting it out to him, the psalmist says, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. In other words, when you hear the psalmist speaking here and he talks about this worship and praise, I believe what he's saying is that we are to worship him in all places. In all places. Now, in verse 1 it says, praise God in his sanctuary. There is some debate whether this is the earthly sanctuary, the temple, or whether this is the heavenly sanctuary, heaven itself, that God should be worshipped in. I think... I think it is unclear, and I think it's unclear for a reason. I think the ambiguity that you find here in this passage reminds us that it really doesn't matter if it's in the heavenly sanctuary or the earthly sanctuary that we ought to be worshiping and praising God. He says we ought to praise him in the sanctuary and in the mighty firmament. In other words, whether you're on earth or you're in heaven, God deserves our praise and worship. And we ought to praise him in all places this morning obviously here in this place as we have heard and we have seen what God has done as we've been led into that moment of worship we've had that time here and maybe it's easy for you to come into the sanctuary maybe it's easy for you to go into the gathering maybe it's easy for you to come to the church setting and worship it should be I mean it really should be as we come together as brothers and sisters into this place but worship should not be contained here. The walls of this building have not been constructed to limit our worship here. Rather, when we go out of these doors, when we serve him, when we act obediently, our lives should reflect worship in every way. In other words, it doesn't matter where we are. We can worship God. Why? Because our God sits upon the throne and he is not limited to a certain place, a particular uh, context. Our God is a God who is found in all places and can be worshipped. That is what is tremendous. I can worship him in my home. Now, it doesn't take the place of church, right? Some of you are already saying, he just said I can stay at home next week. That's not what I said. Get last week's message, listen to it again. But I can worship him at home. I can worship him when I'm in my car. I can worship him in my business. I can worship him at church. I can worship him in all places because he so richly deserves it. Praise the Lord. Speak to him. Say hallelujah to him in your life wherever you are, whether it's in his sanctuary or whether it's in the mighty firmament. He says you worship him. So we worship him in all places. We also worship him for all blessings. We worship him for all blessings. Verse 2. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. He says we ought to praise him for the blessings that have come. For what we've seen. He says first, the mighty acts. 
Now, for the Hebrew mind, the Jewish mind, he would think about creation and how God had created all things. And you see that throughout the Psalms where certainly the Jewish mind recognizes the creator God and how he has worked in his own way to bring all things together. So you can think about his mighty works of creation. You can think about his mighty works of sustaining things. In other words, not only did God create everything, but everything still consists through him. He holds everything in place. He takes care of everything. You you think about that for a moment. Our God makes sure that the sun goes exactly the way it should. Takes care of the moon, the stars, takes care of creation. Our God still does that. He didn't just wind it up like a clock. He didn't just wind up creation like a clock and say, hey, I'm, I'm hands off. I'm gone now. According to what Paul said to the Colossians, all things consist through the power and the work of God. So in other words, his sustaining acts constantly. How about his redemptive acts? The people of Israel knew the redemptive acts of God. And I can almost guarantee you, I can almost guarantee you, I can say this in such confidence this morning, that when this psalmist spoke about the mighty acts, there was one in particular that would have occurred to his mind and the whole congregation of Israel. The mighty act, Israel's deliverance from Egypt. Read the Old Testament. Read it over and over and over. And they recognized that redemptive moment in their history where God led them out of bondage, where he led them out of slavery, and he delivered them, eventually bringing them to a land that he had promised. Over and over again, he is remembered as the God who brought them up out of Egypt. You couldn't be part of the congregation of Israel without thinking of that one mighty act. And what the psalmist says here is that we ought to worship him for the blessings, for all blessings, for everything that he has done. If we were to stop there, listen, if we were to stop there and we were to count all of the blessings that we have had in our lives, And how God has acted in such mighty ways. I promise you. We would have church here in this place. Because we could do nothing more. Than present our lives before him. And worship and praise him. For all that he has done. All he has done. The creative work. The consistent sustaining work. But may I say this, the redemptive work in particular. I I, I was writing out things this week, thinking about this and reflecting upon it. And, And you know, it was a tremendous demonstration of God's greatness. That crossing of the Red Sea, the the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, that was such a great and wonderful act. For us to have been there, it must have been it would have been amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, to see the water open. And to walk across on dry land, could you imagine? You would never be the same again, would you? You would never be the same. You would never look at God in his power and his majesty the same. It would be totally different. It would be so different for you. It would be so different for me if we had walked across on dry land. And then when we got across in God's own timing, in God's own power, he allows things to come back and, 
and, and really deliver you from your enemy. It's amazing to think about that. But get this, as I was just reflecting about this week. You and I have been washed. We have been cleansed from our sins through Jesus Christ. And may I tell you that there is more power in the forgiveness of God and the cleansing of God in our lives than the dividing of the Red Sea itself. In other words, I am saying to you, it takes more power to cleanse us from our sins. It takes more greatness to demonstrate his work in our lives through cleansing us than it did for him to divide that Red Sea. I really believe that. And for us to come into this place and worship him, we need to be reminded that every one of us, every one of us, every one of us was lost in our sin. And we were bound for a place called hell. But God, but God acted in his own way in history, sent his one and only son on our behalf so that through our faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died for us sacrificially upon the cross and rose that third day, through our faith in that, through our faith in the person, we can have life. And we ought to be able to worship him because of all blessings, especially the mighty works that he has performed his character, well, it's demonstrated in his, in his words. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. The character of God, the greatness of God. He is great in his work. He is great in his grace. He is great in his love. We just could step back and just for a few moments marvel in his greatness. We would be ushered into the presence of we'd be ushered into a place of true worship. If we could just begin to grasp the greatness of the God we serve. Verse 3. Some of you looking at your clock saying, man, you're moving through this pretty fast. We're getting out early today. Verse 3. He speaks about worshiping him through all means. Now look. Worship him in all places. Worship him for all blessings. Worship him through all means. Verse 3. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with a lute and harp. Praise him with a timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Can you hear the preacher here almost... In the psalm. I mean can you hear him just get started. And it's like you can't get him to stop. He just wants to list everything he can think of. Praise him with this. Praise him with that. He's like praise him through all means. Whatever you have. You praise God. You worship him with it. You know when I look at it. I mean all these different instruments. The sound of the trumpet. The lute. The harp. The timbrel. The dance. The stringed instruments. The flutes. The, the, the loud symbols, the clashing symbols. I mean, all these different things that is mentioned here. He says, you take them all, whatever you have, and you worship him. Whatever you got through all means. Notice, by the way, I did leave out dance because I didn't think that would be appropriate for a Baptist church this morning. But <laughs> whatever you got. 
He says, you worship him. Now, Jeremy, I'm not good at instruments, but I think he mentions the winds. He uh, mentions the percussion. He mentions the brass. Yeah, I'm just going to stop there, all right? Because I'm getting really deep into a place I don't need to go right now because I don't know. He says all these different instruments. He says, worship the Lord through all means. What does it mean? Again, whatever you got, whatever it is in your life, just, just worship him. You know, when I see some of the, the folks up here, whether you got Scott or David playing the trumpet, or whether you got Margie making the piano sound like the tunes from heaven, whether you got any of these others, and some of them I would, I would call, but I don't exactly know what it is you play. But uh, you make it sound good. I just say that, all right? <laughs> Music's not my field. I told you that. But to see them to playing or to have the choir or to have Kyle up in the gathering playing uh, the piano like he did this morning or whatever it is. He says, just whatever you got, whatever you got, you just use it to praise the Lord. Use it to praise the Lord. Probably going to a place here that some of you won't like, but I'm just going just gonna to go there, okay? Just going to go there. I got a couple friends here that will defend me probably too. But um, we get too wound up. Listen to me. We get too wound up on methodologies and means, and we forget about the presence. And I've been one of those individuals right there with you. I, I, I get so wound up in certain things in life. When, you know, in our churches for years, uh, sometimes, so, so often we have majored on the minors. For example, clothing, like what you wear. You know, when I was coming up, that was a little bit of an issue. Not quite the issue today as it was back then. But, I mean, the idea that, I mean, you had to dress a certain way to, to come to church. I, I, I'm thankful for people that wear ties. I kind of still like to wear ties. I, I'm, I'm good with that, okay? I, I kind of like, like it okay that somebody can walk in with jeans as well. You know what that says to me if both people with ties and jeans on come to the same service? It says that the people with ties on are not looking in judgment at those people with jeans on. And those people with jeans on don't think they're more spiritual than those of us with ties on. I'm okay with that. To be able to come and worship. Because you know what? God is pretty much bigger than my clothing. Than what I wear on Sunday mornings. He's pretty much bigger than that. My preference. Of music. Style. Listen, this morning when I got into my car... I had left the ball game a little bit early last night. I hate to admit that here in front of you all. But we had to get home. Sunday morning was coming. Kids had to be bathed. We started home. And Rhett wanted to hear the end of the basketball game. I was trying to find it. Never did really find it on the radio. I had found it before. Don't know what happened. Just couldn't find the voice of Jack Thigpen. Could not find it anywhere along the way. So, um, this morning got in. You know what was on when I got in my car, my truck? Southern gospel music. It was awesome. <laughs> you got to remember where I've come from, you know. Leslie just, she just gets me. She's, sometimes I, I can handle a little bluegrass and she's like, no, I cannot go there. Do not be bringing that stuff into this house. You got to remember where I was, where I came from in the tradition. And, and this morning they got in and Rhett was sitting in the front with me and he was like, 
what is this? You know, like, what? I mean, this is good stuff. I said, you need to listen to this stuff, buddy. We all have preferences. We all come from different places. I mean, understand when I was at Pine Grove in Picayune, Mississippi, I remember my youth minister coming in to bring a pool table into the church. Now, I came up understanding that a pool table was an instrument of Satan himself. <laughs> I think it had to do with my brother, one of my older brothers, who was, they were, he was supposed to be going to college, but he ended up at the pool hall most of the time and didn't ever really finish. And mother just drilled it in my head. It is a place of iniquity. You do not never touch a pool table. Never go. I remember my youth minister was bringing it in. I said, Shad, this is serious. I said, Shad, I said, don't bring it in. Just, just, just wait. I'm going home, and I, I don't want to see this come in this church. I'm going home, and you just bring it into the Family Life Center without me looking at it or knowing. Now, if it's up, it's up, but I don't want to see this because if my mama finds out that I approved of this happening in this church. So I just went home. I promise you, I went home and said, I can't even watch it come into the church. That's how traditional I am and I was. But you know what? We all have preferences. But I really do believe this day, as God has worked in my life, that I can worship him, whether there's some traditional hymns being sung or there's some contemporary songs, I can worship him. Partly because I go back to the blessings that God's brought in my life. I don't, I don't know another way where I can't worship him. I, I've never been excused from saying, hey, you don't have to worship him. No, no, no. Praise the Lord. Whether you find yourself in the sanctuary or whether it's in the mighty firmaments, you think about his mighty works in your life and you use every means possible, whatever means it is, to bring him worship, to celebrate who he is. Every means, whatever it is. There are moments in our worship where it should be celebrative. There are moments in our worship where it should be quiet and subdued as we reflect upon God. There should be moments of our worship where we, where we have recalled what he has done. And we shout out for the joy. We shout out for the gratefulness that we have in our lives. I think that's what he's saying here, that we praise him in such ways. Listen, our worship should be Christ-focused. That should be one of the things that we insist upon. Our worship should be in spirit and in truth. Don't forget that idea, truth. I will be honest with you, when I look across the American landscape today, I see a lot of preachers who dress with ties and suits on that are nothing more than charlatans of the gospel who do not stand for what truth is the biblical truth that we've been taught we should place truth at the center of who we are when we come to worship he should be at the center of who we are as we worship our worship should not be just for entertainment value if it is only an entertaining experience we have lost what true worship is. Our worship should not be barren intellectualism. 
but it should not be mindless emotionalism either. We come to him and we give him our heart, soul, mind, and strength as we come to worship. As we come to worship. You know, there are so many preferences that I have and that I have had. And in the last few years, I've kind of said, God, would you help me determine what is Christ-centered of the truth? God, what are those moments that are not just entertaining, but those moments that are life-changing? Help me define those. And help me be open. Help me be open to the methodologies. Help me be open to the means that honor you. And there are some places in my heart I'm much more open than I was years ago. Much more open. You know why? This is why. Those of you up in the gathering, you may not can see this picture. But it's the four most adorable, beautiful kids you'll ever see in your life. Right, people in the sanctuary? Years ago, I determined, as I was leading the church, that what I wanted my children to know was the truth of the gospel. And if they found it around a pool table, or if they found it, when they were singing something that I had never sung before and I thought was so different from me, I determined that was okay. Because I want them to know the truth of the gospel. Years ago, I struggled with this. I had written this out a few years ago because I said, you know, I, I, want, them, I want them to know. I'll be honest with you. I want them to know the hymn, There's Power in the Blood. I want them to know that. Why? Because that was so dear to me coming up. I, I want them to know that. But you know what's more important? I want them to experience the power of the blood of Jesus Christ in their lives as they come to salvation as they serve him. I want them to know one of my favorite songs, favorite hymns ever, to God be the glory. But I also want them to know that my goal for them is to live lives of glory for God. I want them to know the old hymn 475 used to be in the 75 Baptist hymn. My favorite one, Victory in Jesus. I want them to know the song. But you know what I'm, my most desire for that is that one day, at the day of his appearing, when Jesus Christ comes again, that they will be able to stand by me. They'll be able to stand by me and that we'll be able to proclaim the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ together because they've known him and they've served him. And that's much more important any day than what they sing or what they play. It's so much more important to me. And for those of you who have grandkids, you know that. I know your heart and I know your desire. For those of you who have kids, we want to see them stand. Listen, we have a country today that is going nuts before Jesus Christ. I mean, they don't even know what they believe. They don't even know what they are getting into today. And what we need to do is not focus on all of the preferences and all of the small issues. We need to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what means we use. We ought to preach the name of Christ because the only way our nation will ever be changed is through the blood and the power of, of Jesus Christ himself.
Some of you said you took too much time on that one. All right, moving on. The last verse. Verse 6. Let everything that has bread praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. In other words, we are to worship him with all people. With all. Listen, the scripture says that even when we fail to cry out before God, that the rocks themselves will cry out. If you don't worship him, all of creation will continue to worship him because creation itself recognizes its creator and recognizes his greatness. Absolutely. All of creation will. But the invitation here and throughout all the Psalms, the hymn book of Israel, the invitation is for all to come. All to come. It doesn't matter who you are. Let everything that has breath, all of us, all people, come before him and worship him. Older folks, younger folks. Folks with high social standing, people with low social standing. People that got a lot in the, in the bank account, people that got little in the bank account. Isn't this the wonderful thing about the kingdom of God? All of us are invited before the cross. All of us are invited. It doesn't matter who you are, what you come from. God invites us all to, to simply worship him. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter any background. We are invited to worship him. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath say hallelujah before God, recognizing his worth in our lives, all individuals. It also speaks to our mission. Because one day, get this, get this, get this. It's awesome. One day, when we gather around the throne, and I believe that's going to happen because I believe that God wins this battle that we're in today. It's already been secured through the cross and the resurrection. It's only for him to culminate the victory one day. And he's going to call his church home. We're going to gather around the throne. It's going to be the most awesome worship experience that we have ever had, ever and it's going to be comprised of all nations, all people. So while we're here on this earth, one, we worship him collectively, individually. But also we seek to extend that worship to all nations. Because what we want is for them to know the goodness. It's not just about my children and grandchildren. It's about other children and grandchildren all across this world who need to hear the gospel of Christ and who one day can join with us around the throne. Multitudes upon multitudes of nations upon nations giving glory and honor 
to the only one, to the only one who is worthy of our worship. What a day that will be. Thanks be to God. He allows us a foretaste of it now in our worship before him. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. We pray. Lord, we pray this morning that our worship has been pleasing to you, that you have delighted in us. And God, I pray that we would respond during this moment of invitation, reflection, the quietness of this moment. God, we would give our hearts and lives to you. God, help us to be obedient. Help us to see what you have for us. Help us to exalt you in every worship service that we come to. And help us to exalt you in our daily lives. God, speak to us now. Speak to us clearly through these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we have this moment of invitation?